And here we go. Welcome to episode 23, Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco, and the fourth period.com is going to join us in just a moment. This is not an ICYMI edition. This is actually live because we didn't do one earlier today. I had a bunch of stuff to do today, um, some stuff I had to tape and, and stuff like that. So we are doing our first prime time edition. Prime time. We're like Deion Sanders, prime time. And I don't know, maybe we'll do more nighttime shows if this goes well. I'm probably better at night. I suck during the day in the morning, for sure. But anyway, uh, we'll get to uh, Anthony DeMarco in a moment. Let me tell you about Bet Park. Great time to get on the Bet Parks app. It's a fantastic casino and sportsbook app. We'll have the Broad Street Boost for you coming up on uh, Wednesday. We will have uh, great stuff to wager on all week long. Busy week for the Flyers. Got a game coming up tomorrow, got a game Thursday, got a five-game homestand, got a game Saturday, Monday. Tons of action to bet on, including pro football, college football, pro hoops, college hoops, you name it. It's all that World Cup. You can bet on all of it. Easy to sign up, fun to use, and faster to win than ever before. And right now, all Bet Parks users can use the promo code JASON750, JASON750. That'll get you a risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. Again, new and existing users as well. So now download the new Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 or present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For example, too, if you want to go on it right now, find one of the games that's on. You want to bet it going forward or any element of it, go for it. Jump on there and check it out. Also, Conquerville Subaru, fantastic dealership, great people. And uh, their slogan is Conquerville Cares. Why? Because it's a fact. They care. And they have so for done so for a very long time. They work in the community unparalleled. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise dealer of the winter, year winner back in 2015. And right now they've got the Share the Love event, which is just incredible. It goes all the way through January 3rd, started on November 17th, where Subaru will donate $250 for every new car sold to one of five charities. Now here are the five you choose. The ASPCA, Make-A-Wish, Meals on Wheels, Nation's Parks, or Conquerville's hometown charity, that is Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. It's a great time to visit the beautiful showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills and uh, head in for the holiday season. Check out a list of certified pre-owned inventory or also a list of incoming Subaru vehicles, and you're going to love it. You're going to fall in love with Conquerville Subaru. It's more than just a dealership. It's a great, great service department with a free car wash with every visit and great people. So visit ConquervilleSubaru.com online. Check out the beautiful showroom over at 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Conquerville cares. Let's get to him right now. From Montreal, it is the man from the fourth period.com. A DeMarco 25, Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. It does feel weird to be doing this in the evening, eh? feels like I should be sitting yeah. down with a bowl of ice cream or something, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's good to change things up when you're in the midst of a 10-game winless skid, 0-7-3 in their last 10. And, and, you know, this is something I've talked about quite a bit on Flyers Daily is, you know, if you take the top five guys off of any team, they're going to have a hard time winning. You take the top five forwards off of this team, I think it's going to be impossible to win because they don't have the depth. As constructed with every guy available and playing close to peak, they're still probably not a playoff team because they don't have enough talent. But that's the rational part of it. The emotional part of it is, oh, shit, another 10-game winless skid. Three years in a row. 
when is this going to end? Yeah, because they're what two games under hockey five hundred, I think it is. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. they're what seven, nine, and three. Is it? Is that their official record? I yeah, think something like that. Yeah, their official record is as I try and load this up. Are you getting a delay from me, by the way? A bit. Seven, I'm ten. getting a bit of a delay from you. All right, seven, ten, and five. All right, down. Uh, jump off real quick and then jump back on. That'll, that'll okay. kill the delay. So I'll kick you out. And then just uh, re-jump re, uh, in, and that'll help out the delay. Cause I, could, I was sensing we were having a delay as well. These are the things I'm able to tell. Um, so, yeah, there's 7, 10. I just lost it. No, of course I did. Uh, 7, 10, and 5. So basically, 7 wins on the season and 15 losses. That's that's the way I tend to look at it. I don't care. You know, One team leaves the building at the end of the night with a win whether that's regulation, overtime, or shootout, one team loses, leaves the building with a loss, regulation, overtime, or shootout. That's I don't try not to get caught up in this hockey 500. Yeah, I'll take the loser point, but I don't love the whole notion of the loser point. All right, he's back right now. Uh, that better now? Yep, yep. I'll get on my end now. So, yeah, 7, 10, and 5. But really, 7 games they've won, and 15 times they've left the building with a loss. Yeah, so... If you had told most people that, let's say, after American Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving, the Flyers would be five points out of a playoff spot, three games under hockey, 500, 19 points, I think most of us would have been like, yeah, that's pretty par for the course. Forget the injuries, even if they were healthy. I think a lot of people have been like, yeah, that's about where I expect them. But I think that it's more dramatic now because of what you alluded to because it has come off the heels of a 10-game winless streak, the third year in a row of a 10-game winless streak. And it, they've wound up in a spot that I think we were all kind of them expecting them to be in at this point because they overachieved so much earlier in the season, primarily on the back of elite-level goaltending. But when you kind of really look at it as a big picture – I don't think anyone was really expecting them to be anything better. And then you factor in the injury situation that they've been without Atkinson and Katori and JVR and, you know, five of their six top six play, uh, forwards in a lot of ways. I don't think anyone could really be that shocked with where they are right now. But obviously it's been so amplified because of the 10 game skid. Yeah. And, you know, I see so much. I talked about this earlier today on another podcast. I see so much talk about because Torts is trending again, and that Torts, um, a lot of people saying, "Well, what are they going to do if Torts just says I didn't sign up for this and tuck tails and runs?" And I go, "This is exactly what Torts signed up for. He knew what he was getting into. He's gotten into this." in three previous stops, four previous stops, excuse me. When you take over teams, they've likely fired their coaching staff. Why? Because the team's not good. Very few coaches get fired like old Quenville did when, uh, you know, we, we had the situation in Florida with a good team. So you take over a really bad team. And to me, I think Torts is a builder. He likes to build his team and his identity to play the way that he considers to be the right way. And you can debate whether you agree that he plays the right way or doesn't play the right way or has evolved or hasn't evolved enough. But uh, he's not running from this. I don't know if, if people saw his media availability today. Uh, 
I, I think you see a guy there that goes, that's really enjoying this. He's not enjoying losing, but he's enjoying the element of evaluation, finding out who's who and going to enjoy building it back up. I think he knew exactly what he was getting into. It's crazy amount of DMs or tweets I get weekly or almost daily at this point that says, you really think he signed up for this? Torts isn't the guy that you sign up to be a rebuild, like be the coach of a rebuilding team. And I think you've brought it up on several occasions. Is like when he took over the New York Rangers, they were hardly a juggernaut. When he took over the Columbus Blue Jackets, they were hardly a juggernaut. His situation in Vancouver was kind of weird. And obviously that is the one outlier in his coaching career. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this is a bit before my time, but when he took over the Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't think that they were a cup ready team. He took over in what, 02? So I think it's because they try and group Torts in with the guys like Julien and Vigneault and Lavi. And those guys are cup ready coaches. Like you don't hire AV finishers. Exactly. They need to have all their pieces in place. But specifically over the, again, save for the one year in Vancouver that proved to be an anomaly, see, like the last 15, 20 years of his coaching experience has been the first year or two, if not more, really kind of figuring out what he has. And he has long had the resume or the reputation, if you will, of being able to squeeze the very most out of nothing. You know, I believe they were even talking about that. I don't know if it was Saravali's show or if it was um, – or if they were talking about it on TSN radio up here in Canada. But they often talk about Torts as a guy that really is brought in to really shake the narrative or change the, the culture rather, change the standard, and really try and just shape a team into the way he sees it. And that's not a guy that you get in when you're ready to win a Stanley Cup. I think he could be a cup coach, but he is far from a closer like a Lavier and AV. Yeah, or just that, right? Like he's yeah, he's a guy that everywhere, and, we'll, and again, we'll remove Vancouver because that is the the anomaly here. The only place he spent less than five years at too is you know you look at it and you go, okay, everywhere he's gone, he's either had a partial season and his first full season with every team, he has never made the playoffs. He's never taken a team that wasn't good and made the playoffs. So. But year two, his first or his second full season, he has, and every one of those teams arced. Now, obviously, Tampa Bay arced to the pinnacle. They won a cup in 04. Then with the Rangers, he arced all the way to a conference final. And then with the Blue Jackets, a couple of second rounds. But they've all arced, and they've all had uh, four, in New York's case, five seasons in Tampa's case and five seasons in Columbus's case of years in the playoffs, a bona fide playoff team. And, you know, with varying levels of talent at each place, now, probably, you know, when Panarin left and Bobrovsky and all that, you know, he obviously suffered a little bit there in Columbus. And that wasn't a team that drew high end talent in that tenure. So, you know, I just think that there's a lot of narratives about towards like the one thing that happened this weekend, I'm sure you saw it, was what Gianna Han put out from the Inquirer. Because at the end of his press availability, he didn't get into specifics of talking about individual players. And he's not going to do that. We've seen that this year. He, he buys himself time when he's still emotionally amped. 
to not bury guys publicly. So he says, I need to look at the tape. And in this, he said, you know, you watch the game. You're going to write your story, write your game story. And it was put out that he wouldn't answer any questions. The only problem about it was, is that when you watch the full availability, the four minutes before that, he answered a ton of questions about the game. But it was presented by Gianna that that was the only thing he did. It was one of those, I came into press conference, no, 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 all right, over. And we can't do our job. But when you saw the full availability, that wasn't the story that was told. And a lot of people ripped the shit out of Torres. I mean, beat the shit out of him publicly and said, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I saw some retractions. I saw a lot of people that ripped them that didn't retract either. Once they, because I posted it, I posted the, I, look, I saw the tweet initially. Then I saw, then I went back and I watched the full press conference. So I posted it and said, this is not how that was presented in that tweet to me. Well, look, like I've obviously Gianna does great work with the Inquirer, her colleague Olivia as well. From all I know, they, they've been really good on the, this is their second year on the beat or their third year. Second. So like, I'm not here to like disparage them in any way, but I think that maybe it showed how new they are kind of to the business because this, they, people have talked about this even in Canada and this is Torts playing his shtick in some ways. And in other ways, he didn't really do anything wrong. Because like you said, when I watched it back, he gave information. It was, just wasn't the information that maybe they were looking for. And I think that there is some critical thinking involved sometimes when you're on the beat, you're trying to write a story, you can have it fed to you. And you could have made a story that, like, despite all, like, the losing streak, and that was after nine games, or was it after the 10th game? I forget which one it was. I feel like it was after the Pittsburgh game. That you could have wrote a story on whatever about, but clearly Gianna wanted a specific answer as to what went wrong on an individual point. And I could understand that. Obviously, that is probably, like, a juicier type of meat that you could feed into your story. But there's other ways around it. But I think another thing that Torts has consistently done here, and again, I will say, like being up here in Canada, listening to TSN radio in Montreal and Toronto almost daily, the Flyers have not been this talked about since the days of like Laviolette. And I'm being serious. So yeah. you know how much Torts has kind of meant for this team in that respect. But he's always been a guy that takes the bullets for his players. And specifically when his team is struggling, he takes the negative attention off of them. And he's done that consistently here. And if you don't think that that's semi by design, you have totally. no idea. Totally that's exactly design. what he's doing. And he's yeah. not even doing it to the lengths that he did in Columbus or New York or mm -hmm. Vancouver, obviously was a sideshow in a lot of respects. But this is a very toned-down version of Tortorella. And I think that even he said it very respectfully when he kind of shot down those questions from Gianna and Olivia. But I think you have to, A, respect the fact that he's not a guy that's going to disparage his players. And, B, you have to respect the fact that this guy plays into his shtick and you just got to take it for what it is. Yeah. And and I look at it and I go, this this is exactly what he's doing. I talked about it a lot over the summer in my conversations with guys that played for him. One of the things they loved about him is when things go really sideways that he makes himself the story and takes a lot of pressure off the guys that are playing for him. Um, let's, get to this, let's get to this question from Matt S. Matt S says, hey, guys, question about identity. 
He said, it's clear the Flyers tried hard to rediscover slash return to their BSB roots, uh, Broad Street Bully roots this summer. Is there any thought into the notion that it's actually holding them back? Um, I mean, I don't know that they went, f- you can't go back to Broad Street Bully. I mean, th- they're trying to go back to, I guess, to being a more physical and d- more difficult team to play against. I, I don't think you can ever go back to Broad Street Bullies. That, that kind of hockey's so far gone, in my opinion. And if you try to go even further, I think that would be a mistake. I mean, because you bring in Delari and he leads the team in fighting, I guess I guess that's kind of Matt's point. I don't know that that's holding them back. I mean, can, can it hold them back at this point when you're missing, you know, five of your top six forwards? I mean, they, they just don't have nearly enough talent that they're putting on the ice right now. So I don't know that anything else is holding them back other than that. I mean, you have Sealer in who's been pretty good. I guess he's one of those pseudo throwback guys a little bit. Um, obviously, Delarier is. And I think there's room for one of those guys in, in your lineup. Say what you want about the four-year contract. I didn't like the four-year deal either. That, no. that to me, like, seriously, four years for you know that type of player. Um, I think that was a Tortorella signing. You know, him telling the general manager he wanted this guy and that was the particular guy and do what you got to do to get it done. And then I... I mean, the other guy, I guess you could put into that category, D'Angelo, certainly not that, but he's a guy who plays a lot of emotion. But I guess you could put, I mean, who else would you put in that? McEwen? McEwen, uh, Risto Linen. You even make the team out of camp, McEwen. Risto, I I guess. They've committed long-term to Risto, obviously. There's an organizational incentive there. I mean, look, even a guy like Delorier, like I know everyone just pegs him for this goon, but the guy's a decent hockey player. Like he's not a liability. Like you look at over the last 11 games that he's played, like since that Ottawa game at the beginning of the month, his last 12 games, actually, like he has pretty much an even course. He just has shed under 50%. He has a positive expected goal differential. Like he's not a guy that's out there just as a full-time liability. Like let's say a Ryan Reeves, if you will, but Yes. Do I think that there's an element here that they want to be tougher to play against, that they wanted to not get walked over, let's say how they did against the Rangers several times back in the 2021 shortened season? A hundred percent. That's been what it is. But you look at teams that have been successful and there is a certain competitive toughness that comes with a successful team. Like it's not a secret or it's not like profound to say like Tampa Bay had their elite players and they wouldn't have won without those elite players, but they only won those cups when they brought in Coleman, Goudreau, Maroon, uh, Perry came last year. They always had a Zach Bogosian or uh, Derek Savard on the back end, Uh, Eric Chernak, although he's a really good shutdown defenseman in addition to that. And I think that you need those types of players and or maybe not, not that you need them because let's say Colorado won last year without that, except they had those tough guys on the back end, specifically Josh Manson, who isn't an analytical darling. But I think it really goes a long way when you have guys that can play a regular shift, aren't going to kill you in your own end, are de- sound defensive players, but also bring that edge. Because the thing is, specifically, like you brought up, Jay, when you're dealing with the team like the Flyers, that they don't have that elite level skill, And they don't have a group that's going to drag you by the top end of their lineup offensively. You at least want to set a standard. I know everyone's getting tired of hearing that word. I get it. It's gone all the way back to training camp. But, you know, I spoke to people at the organization over the weekend. Like, 
it is about setting a standard because for a lot of these young guys that could be a part of the team moving forward, you don't want them to get used to that losing culture. And, you know, not, not remember- losing, but getting pushed around out there, losing on the scoreboard and also losing in it looking weak or meek, I guess maybe the right word. <laughs> well, j- well, like I'll give you an example that kind of was talked about a lot up here in Canada that was also in- involved the Flyers. Remember the whole incident with Konechny and Matthews, like what was it, a mm-hmm. month ago at this point? Yep. That was talked about at nauseum on Toronto radio because they showed like for once it looked like the Toronto Maple Leafs players gave a shit. And that's not to say that they have a bunch of goons running around. Like the the Leafs are a, a team that I think could have used a Nick Deloria, if we're being yeah. honest. That's a team. But I just think just the more the attitude of how you play is important. And I think a guy like Deloria, a guy like Sealer, a guy like McEwen, three guys who I think have played very well this year in their respective roles, specifically Nick Sealer and Zach McEwen, but also bring that competitive toughness and that edge and that grit and can punch someone's face in if need be, it goes a long way. Yeah, I, I get what Matt's saying though, because it is a bit Neanderthal, right? It's yeah. Cause like what he says, he says, what I meant by that is that in 2022, why not choose to focus on the identifying as a skilled club? It seems like there's an overt fascination with effort. Thanks again. Enjoy the pod. And, and there is. I totally I agree with Matt completely. A hundred percent. You know, I would love for them to identify as a skilled club, you know, but to do that, it's a lot harder to get high end skill than it is Mm -hmm. to get guys that can really be physical presence on the ice and high effort guys. Because skill is something, I mean, that's what they're going to be looking for, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you, you, you can't just find that on the trade market or the free agency, or you can, you, you can go to try and keep it. <laughs> yeah. And like, look, obviously we all heard about Goudreau and Debrinket, but I think we talked about it last week. Like what is Debrinket got done for the Ottawa senators in terms of moving the needle for them? Mm. What is Goudreau done for moving the needle in Columbus? Like to build a kind of concrete, like skilled team, you have to do it from within. And Chuck alluded to it as much. Even Danny Briere alluded to it as much that the best way to find those types of players is through the draft. And I think that for the one, you know, for all the bad that this regime has done in the eyes of many, I think most people could agree that the Flyers, specifically Brent Flair, has targeted players with a high skilled upside in the draft. You know, you look at a guy like Emile Andre that they took in the second round of 2020, a Tyson Forster, a Cutter Gauthier. Like, I mean, they could have very easily gone for a David Juracek who went to the very next pick to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who's probably a lock to be like a solid top four stay-at-home defenseman. But they went with the guy who, in a lot of respects, could have the highest offensive ceiling out of all those top picks in the last year's draft. I mean, if we're being honest. So, I mean... I think there has been an organizational shift in this regime to target players with higher end skill. Obviously I know people are going to bring up Cole Caulfield and for sure at this point in time, that's a major miss, but let's see what Cam York does at the, uh, later on in his career. But I mean, as a whole, I think the Flyers have made an effort to draft more skill. It's just, it's not something that you could change overnight via the draft or via free agency. Yeah. Um, 
look, I, I want more skill here, man. It's why I've said I've done so many pods. You and I have done them, I think, over the last you know bit about trying to find a way to pry a Marner out of Toronto, right? You know, I, I want Toronto to fail so that Mar- a player like Marner, a high-end skilled player, is available because it's very rare that you can trade for one. You can sign one sometimes, like like a Gaudreau, but it's 29, you know? Or you can trade for a Debrinket, but he can walk after the year of his contract is up and you give up a decent amount to get up. Didn't end up being the case for Debrinket because I, I didn't think the trade package was that that huge to get him. But that was the situation that was a little bit different. And we'll see if he, you know, w- extends what happens with all that. But yeah, I mean, they do need more skill. There's no doubt about that. So Matt yeah. S is absolutely right. I, I'd love for them to be identified in 2022, 23 this season as a skilled team that needs to add some grip because I go, if I'm that and I need to add that, I can find that part. Like 100%. I can find grit. I can find a way to fit that on my roster. Yeah. Like what Tampa did. Tough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like Tampa, they, they moved a couple. But even that, like, they moved a first-round pick for Goudreau. They moved a first-round pick for Coleman. They traded a pretty decent haul to bring in Brandon Hagel last year. Like, even those types of players, like competitive top nine guys that can play uh, even up in your top six if need be, like, they come at a hefty penny. Like, even Coleman got a pretty big ticket in Calgary. And, look, obviously those guys are better than the likes of Delorier or McEwen and all that. But then you even look at um, the Edmonton Oilers. I forget who reported it. It may have been Saravalli. I'm not sure. But they're looking for a depth forward with grit. And honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was Zach McEwen. Like, he would be a perfect fit for the Oilers. So, I mean, there are still teams that have that high end skill that look for it. But Matt's 100% right that your foundation has to be your skilled players. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Renee says that, that's official. The the Flyers are dubbed as the new Sabres last year. It continues. That's not even fucking close, dude. Like, I don't like to rip commenters, but that's fucking dumb, Renee. The Sabres had like five top three picks and are still the Sabres. You know, yeah. And, until maybe now. But um, yeah. It, the They're even struggling have, now. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing some of these teams. Like I, I was looking at it last week and Edmonton, like I, I was stunned. They're a team, like even now, minus five, five in goal differential. They're out of the playoff picture right now. They're 11 and 10 on the season, 22 points in 21 games. And I go, how on God's green earth in the regular season with those two guys, are you not, do you not have a better record than that and a higher goal differential? And I know it's goaltending. I know I thought Jack Cam, the signing of Jack Campbell was going to be yet another mistake because I don't believe in the goalie. And it's just, I don't think you can have two of those guys making that kind of dough. I just don't. I don't think you can build a team. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least Dreisaitl's on a pretty team-friendly contract. I think he's making like $8.5 million or something crazy. It's so nuts that when Chiarelli signed that deal, he won the only good deals he made in Edmonton. People ripped yeah. him for that. But no, I, I think that maybe <laughs> when the cap starts to go up here, that will change a bit. But I think in Toronto, you have a much bigger issue because they have three guys in that range yeah. like i think between and Tavares, also Matthews is coming up 
Oh my god, I think he's gonna break the bank. But I mean, all I keep hearing about him is maybe going to LA. So I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with that. But you, think, you don't think that he gets extended in Toronto? I don't know. Like I want to say yes. I've I, heard I mean, I things. Think they extend him in a heartbeat, and then they deal a It's weird because I think a lot of what happens with Matthews depends what happens with Dubas because I've heard that they're very tight and Dubas as of today is a lame duck GM without a contract for next year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've heard a lot of LA. I don't know why, but a lot of people are connecting the dots that Kopitar's deal is up the same year that Matthew's deal is up in 2024. So I don't know. I think that if Dubas stays, Matthew stays, it obviously depends what happens in the playoffs this year, but that could be a seismic shift. Is he the, I mean, where does he rank in the last 30 years in Toronto Maple Leaf players? Is he the top? Yeah. I, I, like I listen to Toronto. I, I listen to Toronto radio daily because they have a really good sports show down there uh, or up there in your case, uh, Overdrive. And they routinely say that he's already the best player in their franchise's history. Like, yeah, better than... Be, right? Well, I mean, like, let's run through it. Sundin, Gilmore, um, Wendell Clark. Like, I think he's way better than... Well, maybe not way better, but I think he's better than all those guys. Like, yeah. I don't think there was ever a point where Sundin or Gilmore were considered as the best players in the NHL. I think Matthews has already kind of cemented himself as the best player in Maple Leafs history. Yeah, I can't see them moving on from him. Um, I I think they would re-sign him and create cap space by getting rid of a guy like Marner, who is not as good, you know. And I don't think Tavares is movable because of the contract and the no-move clause, obviously. And he signed that going home, so he's not just going to wave. You know, yeah. and I know that Marner's from there, but he's he is eminently movable in my opinion. So yeah, I don't I don't see them moving forward without Matthews, unless Matthews just goes. You know what? I'm going to go to Arizona <laughs> or LA. Yeah. You know, I mean, I he, he the he controls all the cards, right? Like he's oh, a UFA like in all. 2024. Like they gave him that contract on a silver platter. They gave him the term he wanted, the money he wanted. And yep. the control he wanted everything. So if it's going to time out perfect for him because that's when the cap's going to start rising again. It, it worked out beautifully. And I think that for a lot of teams that let's say are up against the cap right now, i.e. almost every team in the NHL, you were signing these deals when the cap was projected to keep going up and up and up. Like, well, we always talk about the Kevin Hayes contract, $7.1 million. Well, that was the year before COVID. If there was no COVID, the cap's probably at $90 million right now. And is Kevin Hayes as a, you know, obviously he's at a point per game this year, but is Kevin Hayes as a 55-point center at $7 million when the cap is 90 mil? Is that a bad contract? Like, If it's 8% of the cap or 8.5% of the cap, it's not that big of a deal. But when it's at 12% of the cap, it's more painful because it's sat there at that number too. Exactly. Nothing's budged. And I think that when Hayes signed that deal, everyone kind of agreed that like, okay, he got like a mil 1.25 more than he's worth. Like I said, I I always said that he deserved the Brock Nelson contract six by six. That's what Mm -hmm. Kevin Hayes deserved. He got seven by seven because he was a UFA and that's it. And And I still think desperately needed a center because they knew Nolan Patrick couldn't play. Exactly. And if you rewind 
three and a half years into that contract. If I had told you that over those years, if you averaged his points out over 82 games, he was a 50 to 55 point per uh, per season point guy. I know I worded that terribly, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't think anyone would have been upset that Kevin Hayes was notching 50 to 55 points a season. I think that's exactly what everyone was thinking of him. But he has been a guy that has been kind of caught in towards his crosshairs a bit too. Yeah, It's amazing because and he's leading the team in points. He is a point-per-game player, what, 22 games in. Uh, but Torts has shown that you can't point-per-game your way out of my doghouse. I'm going to move you all around. <laughs> the amazing thing is that he's performed no matter who he's been with. He's put his name on the score sheet. Um, look, they're the lowest-scoring team in the NHL. I mean, them scoring goals is like – as arduous as it gets. <laughs> and really someone gets. someone on Twitter said, well, someone has to get points on a team. I said, no, really? actually not. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true at all. And it's weird because I was talking with someone with the Flyers, uh, I believe it was yesterday, and they said to me, like, isn't it weird that every day, like, Torts is kind of, like, taking a dig at Hayes and he's responding as being a point-per-game player? <laughs> so, like – yeah. So like, and you know, there, it, there is something to be said that Kevin Hayes, you know, if we're looking at this objectively, it's probably the only top six player the Flyers really have on their roster right now. I'm sure Owen Tippett, you can make a case for him as well, although he's cooled off recently, but I'm just like, and he's producing with anyone playing left wing. I think he was taking reps off at wing. right wing today, yeah. like center. I like him like, on the off wing, by the way. I do too. I think his game has always been well suited to translate to wing. I I agree, and it's the only time that he can play with Farabee. You can't, Farabee can't read off him if Hayes is the center and dictating too much of, you know, what side of the ice is the strong side and all that in the in the O zone and the D zone. But if he's on the wing, I think Farabee can read off him. Which you saw the goal the other day. Farabee gets right. Hayes just gets that pass from Sedlak over the blue line just wires it right to the middle pad, right to the right pad, you know, POP rebound right to freaking Farabee who buries it on Varlamov. Like that, like that's a, you know, predictable play because you know where Hayes is going to be. But when he's in the middle as a winger, it's hard to read him because you have no idea where he's going to be. And look, like there, there are certain things of Hayes' game. Like we talked about last week, like, you know, you want some cleaning up in defensive zone. He is a bit of high event, all that. But the other thing is, is that, and we kind of talked about this with Provorov and D'Angelo. When you're playing that prominent of a role and that many minutes on a team that isn't very good and doesn't have a lot of offensive power and struggles to sustain puck possession and get chances in the offensive zone and you're constantly defending like they were in the Pittsburgh game, your metrics aren't always going to look very great. And look, we know that even on an individual basis, Hayes is far from a Selkie winner. But I just think that given the situation, he's a guy that he's another one of those players. And I've said this often, similar with Hart and similar with Provorov, is that he seems to play his best when the chips are down, like he did in 2020 in the bubble when he was the biggest point producer. But I still just think that, look, I understand that given the contract and given the fact that the Flyers have no one else right now, that people tend to want more from him. But I think that when you just kind of really look at the grand scheme of things, what else are, were you really ever expecting of this guy? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, 
TK gets put on uh, injured reserve. That's just retroactive to make room for uh, Zamula to come up, and he's going to get put in the lineup if D'Angelo. Torch said today he expects D'Angelo will be able to go. He's banged up. He's been playing so many minutes. Who comes out if D'Angelo is in the lineup? Who comes out for Zamula? I think it's going to end up being Braun. Seems to be trending that direction. I mean, I think Charlie O'Connor alluded to that um, today. And didn't you say that Torts had some choice words for Justin Braun? Yeah, um, he was critical of him today. Like, look, I mean, Justin Braun, like, I'm a big Justin Braun defender. I have always liked Justin Braun. I think that by and large, the month of November, he mostly did his part, expected uh, positive expected goal differential. Obviously, in the last few games, it hasn't been as good. Him and Sanheim, well, Sanheim too, has been kind of up and down this season, better as of late. But if you look at who else were to come out, I don't really know who it is. It's obviously not going to be Provorov. You're not going to take out Sanheim. And Nick Sealer has, in terms of their, in terms of their respective roles, he's been their best defenseman by a wide margin. Like his expected goal differential is really very strong. And I even think Ristolainen has, you know, thrown together a solid 10, 11 game stretch here. Like not without its ups and downs, but I think Ristolainen's play overall since being benched in, was it against Ottawa that they sat him? I believe so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, he's been a lot better, like positive shot differential, positive chance differential uh, or actually negative chance differential, but he started the game with Sanheim. Yeah. They, they've been really up and down with that. Like sometimes it's Braun, sometimes it's Sanheim. Um, but yeah, like Ristolainen positive expected goal differential. So, I mean, I think Ristolainen's game overall in November trended in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would make sense that it would be Braun. And if I look at this team, the one guy that I would bet a decent amount of money on not being on the roster next year on the back end is Justin Braun yeah. because expiring contract doesn't have term Nick sealer. I think there's no real reason to hang to, to trade him. You you get what a fifth round pick from, and you just have to go out and sign that exact same player. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. And I've long thought that they should really try Zamula on the right side, maybe with Sanheim. I think he'll probably start with Nick sealer. But it makes a lot of sense that it would be Justin Braun. Yeah. And, you know, Torts talked about it's time to develop a guy further now. You know, it's time. You know, he basically admitted in his availability today that, you know, Braun's not a part of the future. He's a veteran player. He's 34, 35, whatever old Braun is. I can't even – I think he's 34. Is that right? 35? Something like that in that range. Yeah. So, I mean, he knows, like, hey, part of this is – finding out what these young players are because finding out what Justin Braun is at this point is a little foolhardy because we already know what he is at this point. And we know it's not a part of the future when, you know, this team is finally moving in the right direction. I thought it was interesting. Last thing at Tort said, he's got like his hate list of <laughs> all the coaching moves, player yapping and all that stuff. Uh, while the flyers are down, he's like, you are what you are in this league. You got to earn everything. You know, you're perceived as shit because you've been shit, right? Yeah. And he goes, but but I keep an inventory of that stuff because when we're on our way back up, I plan on cashing some of those checks. You know, he's like, I keep a mental inventory of that. Like, oh, this coach, you know, 
knows that we weren't very good or we were severely banged up or, you know, riding an eight game, you know, skid and he's putting out his number one power play against us up four to nothing, you know, like he remembers that stuff. And he's like, the players should remember that too. I agree. Yeah. I mean, look, they're going to keep their receipts. And obviously when the flyers maybe do get some healthy bodies back and it looks like Atkinson's going to be the first one back. And then I would assume last week, by the way, you're ahead of the curve on that one. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was told latest January, but uh, they were expecting well before that, which I mentioned in my story. But uh, yeah, obviously uh, they were expecting him back sometime soon. And lo and behold, it looks like it's going to be this week. JVR, I think, is somewhere around the corner soon. Mm-hmm. And then you're probably looking at Lawton and Konechny soon after that. And look, if you get those guys back and you see some of these other guys coming out of the lineup, it's going to be interesting to see who does come out of the lineup when you start getting like three, four players back. Yeah. Um, even Wade Allison. Like, I mean, out of the guys on the roster right now, forward-wise, like, who are you kind of looking at that might be coming out when, let's say, forget Couturier because obviously he's down the line in March, if at all. But when Allison and all these guys come back, who are some of the guys that you think are like going to come out? Well, you're finally starting to see a little something from Kiefer Bellows. He hasn't scored and he yeah. needs to score. But so I don't His know if that would be better. Yeah. So I don't know if he would be immediate, but I mean, McEwen would stay in, you know, they would have to put in, I mean, Delarier stays in. Frost, I mean, the options are, I guess, Frost, Farabee's going to stay in. Wilman, um, Lazinski, Brown. Yeah, Wilman, Lazinski go out for sure. Patrick Brown, maybe, is another guy. Yeah. He can take face-offs, and they're fucking hideous in the face-off circle. <laughs> I mean, hideous. Carter the other night on Saturday won 14 of 15 draws in the game. Carter's a hundred, right? He wasn't even that good back in the day, was he? He's good on the left side, you know. (laughs) I mean, he's good on the left side, and that's it. But Jesus Christ, fourteen out of fifteen, he won. Oh fuck! Well, the way I look at it, and I alluded it today on Twitter, is that Delorier, Cates, and McEwen is probably your long-term fourth line for this season. But that's a pretty good fourth line. And then you yeah, have Hayes like and Seth. With, yeah, with Cates in the middle on a fourth line. Yeah. yeah, and because I was even forecasting to next season because I have a feeling that McEwen gets moved at the deadline. I just mm-hmm. – it kind of feels well, like that's where it's – contract to it? Pardon they me? 50 contract, they, they have 50 contracts. Yeah. And, I mean, they're in this situation now where if you want to add something, you got to lose a contract. And I think that's why Anisimov hasn't been signed. Yeah, that's totally why. Yeah. Yeah. So I think McEwen isn't a long-term fit here. And it's nothing. I love Zach McEwen. And I've always been a defender of him. Even when, let's say, last year he was kind of like a fringe NHLer. I think now he's proven that he can hang in the NHL. But I think that he's a guy that a lot of teams are going to pay a decent haul. Like, you're not going to get your first-round pick. But I think, like, an Edmonton would trade, like, a second or a third for him. A team like that. So I think like if, again, providing health, if you could slide Allison on that right wing, you know, Delorier, Noah Cates, and Wade Allison as a long-term fourth line doesn't sound too bad to me. I think that's yeah. a nice fourth line because provided I don't think... You got some skill up front. 
yeah again like like yeah, we went we back to skill. that question yeah and, and like it seems like they have all the depth players you could ask for like they have good depth but you need that high-end skill and that's why it's imperative that a guy like Gauthier hits and it's imperative that they go out and they get preferably a top line center this summer obviously easier said than done and I think you're gonna have to make some tough decisions with even some of the good players on your roster like we talked about last week that maybe just for salary purposes you're gonna have to be faced with a tough decision between Faraby and Konechny just for the salary purposes like how many wingers can you play in that five million dollar range like now you have Cam Atkinson back so now that's another winger in that range you have an Owen He's got term. Owen Tippett, like, yes, you have some cost certainty with him. He has one more year at one and a half or whatever it is. But still I think he's after. Yeah. still going to be probably in that range when he's up. Like, you just – that's what kills your cap is when you have those middle-of-the-road wingers making that $5 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. That'll be interesting to see who they kind of move on from there and how they, how they try and build this thing going forward. Yeah. It's going to be – it's going to be really interesting. I mean, because in the summertime with the rising cap and money coming off and LTIR, I mean, like you could get into that Bo Horvat conversation. Very yeah. You could get into that trading for, you know, finding a way to get a, a Dylan Larkin or something like that. You could get yeah. into these conversations that can really help you really fast. You know, it's interesting because you look at New Jersey, they finish they had good young players and last year they two years ago actually two off seasons ago they went out and they get Dougie Hamilton but last year it doesn't do shit all for them they finished two points ahead of the Flyers in the standings but this year all of it's kind of come together that vision of what they were trying to do and you know Hughes coming off a natural Hattie the other night Hamilton's been a big big part of it there they've won 14 out of 15 like but you got to have the players. They have skill. They got tons of skill. They were two points ahead of the Flyers in the standings, but it comes together quick because they had skill. So don't expect, like, what I'm saying is, you know, just because they went and made this huge jump with 63 points last year, don't expect that from the Flyers this year, unless you add a shitload of skill. Yeah. And now they actually have some like, semblance of goaltending. Yeah. I'm not sure I buy into that, though, long term for them. No way. No chance. Yeah. But at least, like, it's. Up. Well, yeah. Vitek Vanacek, like I've seen enough from him in the playoffs that doesn't inspire yep. me at all. Yeah, but I mean, at least worry about with them. And look, it's going to kill you. And I think that they could use some like size mm. up front, like a guy like Josh Anderson would make a lot of sense for them to mm. play alongside Heeshear or Jack Hughes. But look, I mean, there there's a long term plan here that has to start to take shape this year. And this year is about and look, it's not to say that wins are don't matter but it's definitely not the only thing. And, you know, like I can't say this for certain, but I would not be surprised if sometime over the next few months, we get some clarity on direction because you and I have talked about this so much that the biggest issue with this entire, let's say front office. So going back to may has been the communication or the lack thereof of what the hell the messaging, what the hell they're doing and look, I don't think it's a, it takes a rocket scientist to figure out what they're doing this year. They're tanking without tanking in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I think that we're maybe going to get some communication here on what the actual plan is so people can maybe calm down a bit. But in that, I think you're trying to... 
yeah, you're trying to figure out who's part of this moving forward. And look, there's some young guys that I think are part of this moving forward. I think Noah Cates is a guy who is that. I think Tippett's a guy like that. You know, health mm-hmm. depending. I think Allison is. But, you know, a guy like Tana Lezinski, I don't think he has it. I don't think he's part of this moving forward. You know, Morgan Frost, I don't know. I like. I think he's a decent NHL player, but he has, what, one point since playing top line? I don't think he's playing bad process-wise. I don't think he's a liability. I think but he, he needs can, to end up on the score sheet. And he doesn't. And that's the type of player that yeah. Morgan – like you're not going to keep Morgan Frost to play left wing on your third line. I don't think that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. And, well, I mean, like for you, what have you seen of Morgan Frost since he's been given that top line center role? Yeah, I mean, look, I see a guy that's so capable of making plays and has generated good opportunities, but exactly if it doesn't go over the goal line, like that's the thing. You know, some guys are great at generating opportunity, but for some reason at that level at the NHL can't get the puck over the goal line. You know, there's so many guys that have scored in junior, right, that got to the NHL. I mean, look at Scott Lawton. I mean, he was a decent player at junior. And there's a lot of guys that put up huge numbers in junior, but never were able. They had to change their game at the NHL level because they just couldn't beat NHL caliber goaltending, you know, or get to the right spots at the NHL level because maybe a junior, they were, you know, they had a more mature body, whatever it might be, or they played on a great line. Like Morgan played on a great line in junior, right? So, um, so I don't know. I mean, you got to see more and, and, and until you actually – you know, put up numbers, then you're a guy that you're hoping for numbers from. And you get to a point where you say, I got to stop hoping. I need yeah, to see and, numbers. <laughs> and, I, and I just look at like his expect, and this is in the month of March, those 12 games in March, like his expected goals four per 60. The only guys that had less that or had less than him was Kate's Lazinski and Brown. Yeah. You look at his shots four per 60. The only guys who had less than him were Bellows and Delorier. So he's been a lot better defensively, and I think he deserves to be commended for how much he's improved his defensive game since turning pro with the Phantoms and coming up to the, the NHL. But it seems like his offensive dynamic ability has withered away, and I think a lot of that has been development. And I was told something uh, over the weekend about Frost which was very interesting to me that was it came from someone within the organization that said he's one of those guys that seems that if he came up at a different time a lot of things would have been different for him Mm. and I agree with that because I think he's a guy that he went through a lot of coaches like and for young players it's never good to go through a carousel of coaches he went through, I think, a lot of different messaging. I think development hurt him. COVID hurt him. He got injured. It doesn't lie at all at his feet. And I think that somewhere along the line, we're going to realize that there was a missed opportunity here with a really skilled player. But for whatever reason, it seems like it's not being put together at the NHL level. And it's like they've almost turned, tried to turn him into a player he's not. But I don't know if that's also the player worrying too much about his defensive game. Mm-hmm. It, it's it sucks to see because you see the skill there. He just can't put it together right now. Yeah. Well, we'll see where it goes from here. We'll see if they're able to end the skid coming up tomorrow night against the Islanders. Five game homestand. The Islanders, Tampa. It doesn't get any easier with this homestand. I mean, this is a tough, tough, tough schedule that they have. I mean, all playoff teams, with the exception of Washington 
So here's the homestand, Ant. It is uh, the Islanders coming up tonight, tomorrow night. Uh, Tampa on Thursday, the Devils on Saturday, the Avalanche on Monday, a week from today, and then a week from Wednesday will be the Washington Capitals before they head out to take on Vegas, Arizona, Colorado, and New Jersey. So it's not going to be any easier. Um, read and stuff at the fourthperiod.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at Adamarco25. Great stuff as always, Ant. We'll talk soon, brother. Thanks, bud. Take it easy. There he is, Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com. And I mean, it's tough. It's a tough homestand. Tough, tough homestand. I mean, everything's tough when you're you're where the Flyers are right now. Every game you look at on the schedule, you go, "Oh shit, oh shit." Except for maybe Arizona. You you go, eh, "Okay, cool. Maybe we can take on Arizona." Um, check out the Bet Parks app. Get on it. We'll give you the Broad Street Boost coming up on Wednesday. Download it. Check it out. Player performances, same game parlays, live in-game betting props, parlays, teasers, you name it. It is all there. Futures on football, college of pro, basketball, college of pro, hockey, World Cup, you name it. You get your action in on it. Use the promo code JASON750. That'll get you that risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. That's for new and existing users. So download the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER also stop by and see my buds at Conquerville Subaru on Route 202 in Glen Mills a fantastic dealership great work in the community the share of the love event going on right now through January 3rd where Subaru will give you $250 for every new car sold and you get to pick from one of five charities for them to donate that 252 ASPCA make a wish meals on wheels nation's parks and Conquerville Subaru's hometown charity, Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. So great time to visit the beautiful showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And uh, you can check out all the certified pre-owned inventory and a list of incoming Subaru vehicles, and also the beautiful service department, free car wash with every visit. So visit ConquervilleSubaru.com, get all the details there. And uh, again, check out the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember that Conquerville cares. Flyers back tomorrow night. Home uh, stand begins with the New York Islanders. And we will join you on another brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live coming up on Wednesday. So everybody, enjoy your hockey. We'll talk to you Wednesday on a brand new episode right here on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great night, everybody. Since 15, 